Welcome to the Robert Lewis Sermons Podcast, an archive of Robert Lewis's sermons while at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. The following podcast is one of Robert's original messages to men on manhood, found here under the series heading, Authentic Manhood. As you listen to it, we hope it will give you both personal encouragement and spiritual inspiration to live better as a man. Now this morning, we wanna talk about three cheers for mentors. Now I want you to know, just look around for a moment, I want you to know that there's some unusual power in this room. There's some amazing power that's here, whether you know it or not. A lot of it is unnoticed. It goes unnoticed. A lot of the power that's here, quite frankly, is untapped. Most men don't even know they have this amazing power resident in their life. And as the years go by, this power that they possess becomes more powerful with the years. And occasionally, you experience this power when you unleash it on a younger man. Now, what do I call that power? I call that power the awesome, empowering impact of an older man on a younger man's life. Notice I put the word, by the way, guys, on your outline, older in quotations. Do you see that there? I put older in quotations for a reason because... Older may be a 20-something unleashing that power in the life of a junior high student. Or older could be a middle-aged man unleashing that power in the life of a 20-something. Or older could be this old sage who's worn and made wise by the unfolding years in his life. And he's chosen to pour his life into a middle-aged man. But older has a unique power. And I want to talk to you about that power because older has a unique power, especially in a younger man's life. Now I want you to know the older you become, the more powerful this power becomes because it's seasoned and salted with experiences and with age, and with hurts, and with victories, and with flaws, and with virtues. But that's what mentoring is all about. You feel this power when a man that you respect unleashes on you. In just a moment, it comes out of the blue, the vision, what I call the vision of words. I've experienced that several times in my life through older men. In fact, I never will forget one time my wife and I had flown out to uh, Los Angeles. Uh, I was finishing my oral exams over my dissertation. And I went through this four-hour intense exam over a project I'd been working on for two years. And we finished. And I had two professors who were taking me through these oral exams. And one of them was a man that I, I, I very, very much respected. I had, had some classwork with him and and uh, he was part of this oral team. And so we finished and he walked out with me after the exam. And as we walked out and down the steps, he put his arm around my shoulder and he said these words. He said, Robert, you have excellent ideas. And one day I predict they will be in print. That's all he said. He walked away. And I thought, me? I could have ideas that were worth putting into print somewhere. I never thought that. 
I'd never imagined me having anything really to say to anybody. But in this moment, something magical happened. This older, proven man, as we walked down those stairs, it was as if he pinned wings on my chest and said, fly, you can do it. He put vision in my life that I'd never considered before. In that moment with his armor wrapped around my shoulder, I could feel the power of his, of his belief flow into my life. Did you know younger men just naturally look to older men to do, older men to do this for them? I call it locking onto a life. Younger men want and need the blessing of older men. Years ago, I read the story of Scotty. Scotty was a young guy when he was going into high school, his mom and dad divorced. And a couple of years later, Scotty's mom remarried an, a man who was wise named Robert. In fact, him and his brothers called him Daddy Robert. I want to read just a little excerpt from Scotty's life. Here's what he said. My brother Tommy was the strong one, the gifted student, the stellar athlete. I was the weaker brother, the skinny one, the split end, not the tight end. I had a low self-esteem, but one day all that changed. Daddy Robert, my stepfather, was driving me to one of my football games when he patted my leg. And he said, you know, Scotty, you're really strong. What? The words took me by surprise. I looked at him. Suddenly I felt alone with this man, Daddy Robert. Up to then he had been one large component of our family, yet a virtual stranger to me. Now for the first time I saw us as a combination of two. Not he and Mom, not he and Buzz, not he and Tommy, he and I. It scared me, <laughs> but it thrilled me. You really are strong, Scotty, he said. You're wiry. His hand felt huge and warm on my leg. Something surged in my veins. He believed. With my oversized helmet sitting atop my bird-like frame, I must have looked like a Tootsie Roll pop on the football field. <laughs> but given those few simple words, I was set loose with a fury on the Lancaster Tigers in particular. There was a terror across the line of scrimmage that night. I could see it in the eyes of the Lancaster player who lined up in front of me. Little did he know I'd had hands laid on me, anointing me for this battle. I had a license to kill. <laughs> All because Daddy Robert said so. For four quarters, my opponent felt the full force of ageless, patriarchal blessings smashing against his head and shoulders. I was a different man, all because my stepfather had spoken life into me. Can you feel that? That awesome power? It's everywhere in the world. Men carry it around with them. Unfortunately, very few men give it away. And yet, in our generation, there are hundreds, thousands, millions of young men who are longing for an older man to point the way 
and to give the blessing. Man, I want you to know that in the second half of my life, one of the greatest blessings of this season of life is to have the really the privilege and the honor to recognize and bless and ignite potential in young men. To stand next to them, just to put your hand on them and tell them they're good at something. Tell them that you believe in them. Tell them that they have potential to go higher and further than they ever imagined. That they don't have to live in a dumbed down masculinity. That they can stand above the crowd. They can stand above the culture. And they can stand above the age and be noble men. Knights. In these middle ages. But they need the blessing. Many of you know our church over the last few years has uh, embarked on a kind of a journey of planning other churches. And we bring young men from all over the country here to train for a year in what we call a leadership residency. And then at the end of that year, we help them launch new churches around America and for some, even around the world. Some months ago, the wife of one of those young men wrote me this note from a moment I wasn't even aware of. And I think that's part of this amazing power. Sometimes you're not even aware you're unleashing it. Here's what she wrote to me. She said, two winters ago, the minister of our church broke his leg. So for several months, my husband had to take on almost all of the responsibilities of pastoring our church while carrying a huge, huge load at seminary. During this time, one of the fringe members of our youth group committed suicide, and several other members of our church developed difficult time-intensive needs, and my husband was responsible for ministering to almost all of this. He became exhausted physically and mentally, but I still watched him get up each morning and walk daily with God. I still saw him love his family and give all he could of himself to us. I saw him keep his mind focused on his long-term goal of changing lives, regardless of affirmation. I don't know how he kept going in all these areas, except that he was depending on God daily. Still, our pastor, my husband's boss, remained distant and ungrateful. Nothing my husband did seemed to be good enough for him. At times, it seemed as if he was intentionally trying to break my husband's spirit. Our friends and our family encouraged us to leave. We felt tattered and bruised and tired. It was so hard to stay energetic and excited when the authority over us was perpetually negative. Maybe part of growing up is learning to push forward in the right thing, even without the encouragement of others. I think my husband learned this lesson, but it was a hard one. Enter Robert Lewis. When we walked into your office for the church planning interview, neither of us expected you to say what you did. I thought you were going to drill us with some hard question and look for red flags, but that's not what you did at all. I don't know if you remember this, and I don't, but you said something to my husband about watching his sermon video and recognizing his God-given gifts for teaching. I think you even said that he was the kind of guy you would enjoy listening to. You told him something about being committed to helping succeed in ministry. Those words may seem simple to you, but I want you to know they weren't simple to us. They were powerful, life-changing words that we desperately needed at this time in our lives. As we sat in your office, I could feel a change happening in my husband. I hope this doesn't sound goofy, but as I look back on the memory, it doesn't seem at all like we were sitting around a wooden table in a church. 
In my mind's eye, the memory is placed within a windblown lampskin tent in the desert during an ancient rite of blessing. The war-seasoned king walked forward and put his hands on the young shoulder, soldier's so, shoulders, and then he commissioned him to go forth and conquer. I'm trying to say it was that big of an experience for us, and that's why I broke into tears in your office. But that afternoon, I could tell that God was doing something deeply significant through you and my husband. Some kind of burden was lifted in him, and he has been different since that moment. Something about him is even more powerful now freer than it has ever been. He's dreaming even bigger dreams. He's thinking bigger thoughts. And several weeks ago, he and I were talking about the differences in him. He noticed it too. And I asked him when he believed that change had started. And he thought for a moment, he said, that day in Robert's office. Now, you know, I'm still surprised when I hear about that kind of power in any man's life, much less mine. But I want you to know, and I want you to believe here this morning, that every man, believe it or not, has the potential to unleash that kind of power in a man's life. Which brings me to this rich subject called mentoring. Because it's in mentoring a young man and spending regular time with him that this kind of power is best unleashed. So for a few moments, let's explore mentoring. Take a look at your outline. We get the word mentor from Homer's Greek classic story, The Odyssey. I don't know if you've read that wonderful story, but it's about Ulysses, he's the main character. And in this classic Greek tale, he goes on a long journey, his Odyssey. And he's about to leave, he's leaving his family, and especially he's leaving his son, and he wants his son to be cared for, to be taken to a higher level while he's gone. And so he entrusts his son's life to another man, an older man called Mentor. And that's where we get the word. And this man takes Ulysses' son from him to develop him and to train him while he is away. Now, it's not just a good story, and it's not just a story where we get the word mentor. It's a story about life. Because at some point in life, every son has to leave his dad. Every son is about to go on his own odyssey. And dad can't go with him. And dad's going on his. And that son needs to be entrusted to other men. And if he doesn't find those men, his life is going to be impoverished and deficient because of it. But here's what I want you to know. Leaving dad is a good thing. may not feel that way, but it's a good thing. And here's why. Because dad can only take a son so far in life. Now, we don't like to believe that as dads, but dad can only take a son so far in life. That's why a son needs to be handed off to other men, to mentors. And blessed is the man whose life is filled with mentors. Even one mentor. It's wonderful to have that. That's because male mentors are specialists who are used to expand and enrich a young man's life. They enter a son's life at various points in his life, in his journey, and they teach a young man skills his father could not. And they call a young man to pursuits and feats 
his father could not imagine. They empower a young man with resources and confidences and wisdom that's often outside his father's ability, all in the context of mutual admiration. Because you get to where you admire each other. You admire the mentor, and the mentor admires you. That's the role of a mentor, to carry on the training and empowering that a dad began, but a dad couldn't finish. And no dad can finish it. There has to be other men in your life. Let me give you five comments about a mentor. We can put these on the screen. Here's the first. He is one who supports. He is one who supports rather than competes with you. Secondly, he is one who is primarily a cheerleader, not a critic. You know, one of the great things about a mentor is he's not going to see what's wrong in you. He's going to see what's right about you. I know as a dad, as my son, his sons have gotten older, sometimes, and they're wonderful sons, but sometimes it's just the natural inclination of a dad to, to find the things that a son's not doing. Keep picking at it. Enter the mentor. And he comes in and he doesn't notice so much the soft spots. He notices the things that's right about you. And he can feel those things and the power those things could have if they could be further developed. And he wants to breathe even more life into those things. He is the one, number three, who seeks to encourage the development of your gifts while seeking to protect you from costly mistakes. He is the one who admires and delights in you because he instinctively recognizes your value and untapped potential. One of the things about a mentor that's always unique is that he has a gut feel for you. He can listen to you. It's like I listened to this young man on video in his sermon. I was just sitting there listening, and I, and I could feel in my gut, this guy can preach. This guy's the future. He's a leader, and he needs to know that. Now, I didn't know that when I said that to him, he was drinking it up like a guy in the desert lapping into an oasis. But it filled his soul. <clears throat> And I was glad and privileged to be a part of that moment. And that's what mentors do. They, they have a gut feel for your potential. Number five, he's not necessarily a close friend. He may become a close friend. But you know, a lot of mentors don't become your close friend. But they do become a close confidant. They are safe people that you can say things to that you can hardly say to anyone else. I met a man on a business occasion that became a close friend of mine. And um, we've interacted through the years, but time has now pulled us apart. So in that sense, we're not close anymore. But one of the things that I enjoy is getting with him because he's a, one of these few people where I feel like I can just unload the things in my life. And he knows those things and he instinctively goes to the right places and asks the right questions and offers the right encouragement. He's a mentor. Not a close friend anymore, but still a close confidant. Now just for a minute, I want to do a little hard right turn because 
Some guys, especially uh, guys who are in the church, ask me, is mentoring the same as discipleship? Can I just touch on that just for a moment before we move on? And the answer is yes and no. Yes and no. Knowing that both mentoring and discipleship seek to impart wisdom to a young man and unleash the best in him. I mean, mentoring does that and discipleship does that. They call a young man up and out to get better in his life. But yes, there is a difference between mentoring and discipleship in that discipleship always has a spiritual center to it. It always has biblical moorings and roots to it, whereas mentoring may or may not. Mentoring may be purely secular in that sense. It may be uh, to help you become a better investor of your money or a better manager of your company or a better fly fisherman on the little red. It can be in a host of things and purely one-dimensional. But discipleship always has a tie to life, spiritual life. So there is a difference, but in some ways they're also the same. I personally think the best mentoring that there is in any area or in any field is mentoring that ties the occasion back to the bigger scope of life. So I like mentoring to be also discipleship. Now let's look at what a mentor brings to the table. I think he brings five things. Here's the first. He brings wisdom through experience. It's the mentor who can say, I've been there. I can tell you what's on the other side of the river. I love it here at the church that we do a lot of premarital work with couples who are getting married. And one of the things that we try to provide for these couples as they go through this premarriage training is to know what it's going to be like on the other side of the river when they get married. But not only that, then we go ahead and provide for them a mentor for the first year of their married life to walk with them through those opening seasons, which is so important to get off to a right start. And I mean, can you imagine how rich is that to have somebody I can call during the first year of my marriage as I'm trying to adjust to this whole new experience? But that's what a mentor provides is wisdom. Secondly, a mentor provides warnings. You know, we have another group of mentors here in the church, and those are people who've been through a divorce. And they formed a small group and they talk about what that divorce meant to them and their family and their children. And now they've made themselves available to anyone in the church who's considering a divorce. And they'll meet with them. And they'll mentor them and they'll say, you want to know what it's really like? We'll tell you what it's really like. And they give them that experience before they get there so they can be really clear about what they're about to unleash on them, their spouse, and their children for a lifetime. But that's what mentors do. They provide wisdom. They provide warnings. Thirdly, a belief in you. A belief in you, and gosh, it's good to be believed in. We all need that. You know, in Acts, you have this moment where Paul is on this missionary journey with a friend named Barnabas and a young man named John Mark, and Evidently, Paul uh, got to the place where he got irritated with John Mark. He didn't think he had the right stuff. And so he told John Mark basically to catch a cab and go back home. And Barnabas objected. 
because he thought John Mark was worth investing in. And they had a spat there. They had a fight about whether to bring John Mark along. And eventually John Mark and Barnabas left and Paul went on. Barnabas continued to believe in this young man, build into his life. And evidently, Barnabas knew what he was doing. Because at the end of Paul's life, when he's in prison, when he's about to die at the hands of the Romans, he pens this little letter in 2 Timothy and he says, when you come to visit me, would you pick up John Mark? Because he's valuable to me. See, that's what a mentor can do. He can believe in you and maybe for you, allow you to believe in yourself. Fourthly, he cheers for your achievements. And you know, sometimes, by the way, guys, you can mentor what I call mentor for a moment. Just for a moment. You can be a mentor for a moment and unleash that power. It's just like that guy did for me back during my oral exams. You know, there are young men all around town who today, just by putting your hand on their shoulder and saying, you know, I've been watching you here. You do a good job. You can just feel the life go into them. Because you, a veteran, is recognizing the power of the rookie. And you're cheering for him. In some instances, a mentor brings to the table being a hero. Now, let me tell you, not every mentor is a hero. In fact, I think most mentors would look at themselves and say, I'm no hero. I mean, maybe I can share some things, but most of my life is filled with pockmarks and flaws and mistakes. And that's right. And that's part of what a mentor gives away, the raw experiences of life. But you know, it's, it, would, it would be deficient on my part if I didn't say, you know, young men need heroes. They need older men they can believe in. They're not perfect, but they're good men, and these younger men want to be like them. And so in some cases, you're going to have a young man who locks on you, and even though you may not believe it, he says, you're my hero. And we need heroes today. I had a guy write a letter a number of years ago to me and to two other men. He wrote it to all three of us. Sent this letter, and I want you just to hear that in this letter. He said this, I have felt in my life a great sense of going it alone for so long. And there are a lot of young guys out here who would write that line. I have gone it alone for so long. And there are a lot of mistakes I've made in my life because there was nobody there for me. And that's what this guy's saying. I felt a great sense of going it alone for so long through high school and college and medical school and residency, I've never had a man nearby to watch, admire, and emulate. No one right in my daily path. No one who knew me well. Thankfully, God has now taken care of me by placing me with godly friends who kept me on the narrow road. But that's not the same as someone who's already been down that road and knows where the potholes and the rest stops and the historical markers and the scenic detours are. I have needed and still need more than a friend, a mentor, someone to fill in the fathering gaps without the fathering baggage. That's what I need. You and two other men have done that. 
You've taught me so much about what God wants for and from me. And you have modeled a kind of, that kind of life, sharing from your heart and leading by example the rest of the time. And in a long distance way, spiced occasionally by personal interactions, you have been a cheerleader for me by holding up what is good and right, by exhorting us all to serve and bear fruit and live a life of noble things, by challenging me to be God's leader for my wife and children and showing me what it looks like. You all have encouraged me and cheered me on like an announcer in the press box who may not know all the players well, but knows a good play when he sees one. At 31 years old, two years out of practice and with family, church, and occupational life solidly in swing, I feel I'm just getting started. I've come so far already, yet doubts and inadequacies linger in my thoughts and actions, but I'm so thankful God has used you to build me into the young man that he wants me to be. I still have so far to go, my wounds, my faults, my frequent failures, but you've been there for me. May God bless you and may he place before you more young men like myself, searching for a hero who can show them how to lead the heroic life to which God has called them. You know, there are guys who are around with eyes looking to and fro every day, wanting to find a hero who can let them leave, live in this life, a heroic life. It's worth living that. It's the quest for authentic manhood. And we older men need to be constantly calling these younger men up. And even in that process, looking at ourselves and saying, you know, up is a worthy place to go. You know, the Bible is a book filled with mentors and mentoring. Here are just some of the examples. You have Moses and Jethro. You have Joshua and Moses. You have Ezra and Nehemiah, Elisha and Elijah, John, Mark and Barnabas, Timothy and Paul. In fact, Two of the letters of the New Testament, 1st and 2nd Timothy, are nothing more than mentoring letters. Just an older man trying to build in and make successful a younger man. You have the 12 disciples in Jesus. It says, and he chose 12 that they might be with him. And why did he need them with him? So he could build and breathe into their life a vision, not for a little lake where they could go fishing, but for a whole world where they could fish for men. That's what he breathed into him. He believed. You know, I want to give you just two quick scriptures. One from the Old Testament, Exodus 18. I'll put it on the screen here. Here's what Exodus 18 says, and it's with this occasion where an older man, Jethro, ministers to his son-in-law, Moses. He says to Moses, he saw all that he was doing for the people, that is Moses, and, he's, and Jethro said, what is this thing you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening. The thing you're doing is not good. He was trying to judge this whole nation of Israel by himself. He was a young guy, and he didn't know how to manage. He didn't have the basic management 101 course yet. And so his father-in-law says, you're going to wear yourself out, and you're going to wear these people out, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me, and I shall give you counsel. And if you want to look at that sometime today. Look at Exodus 18. He lays down an unbelievable management blueprint, an organizational blueprint of how to do justice for a whole nation. And Moses listens, and the people prosper. Then we go to the New Testament thousands of years later. 
And here's Paul speaking to a group of Thessalonians, just a small house church of people, but he's mentoring them. And he says, having so fond affection for you, see, he notices them. <laughs> I have a fond affection for you. And because of that, I'm well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but I'm also willing to impart my very life. I'm willing to invest in you. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father. I'm not your father, but a mentor is a father-like as a father would his own children. And here's my goal for you, that you might walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. I want you to live up and I'm willing to impart my very life to get you there. Now let's look at 10 marks of a good mentor. This is kind of a blueprint for you younger men to choose a mentor. It comes from Howard Hendricks' book, As Iron Sharpens Iron. He gives these 10 characteristics, and I'll go through them fairly quickly. He says this, first, a mentor is a man who clearly has what you personally need. Secondly, he chooses to cultivate a relationship with you. A mentoring relationship is not a forced relationship. You must both want it. Thirdly, he's willing to take a chance on you. Fourth, he is respected by other men. And that's an important thing if you have a mentor in your life. That he's respected by other men. You know he's the real deal. Fifth, he has a network of resources. Sixth, he's consulted by others. Seventh, he both talks and listens. Eight, he is consistent in his lifestyle. And by the way, you can have a guy mentoring you in one area of your life, but if you notice his other areas of his life are out of control, then beware. Because he may not be mentoring you out of integrity. He may be really good at business, but if his home life and personal life are wrecked, you need to beware of his business mentoring. He's consistent in his lifestyle. He is able to diagnose your real needs. He has the ability to speak and connect with you. It's, it's an interesting thing with a mentor and a protege. He's talking to this protege, and as he talks, the protege's hearing things that make sense to him. It's like this guy has a way of putting, connecting the dots in this young man's life, and it creates sparks of energy and excitement about life. He can diagnose your real needs. And finally, he is concerned with your interest. That's his focus, not his, but yours. Now let's look at the impact of mentoring. First for the mentor. And by the way, I have a theory that every man at some level ought to be a mentor before his life is over. And here's why. First, it closes the loop on a man's life cycle. I had an older man, guys, years ago, who was sickly. He felt his life was worthless. It had no purpose. He came to men's fraternity and afterwards he told me that. He said, I'm just wasting away. And I said, you know, you have a lot to give. He said, I don't have anything to give. I said, sure you do. You got experiences, a wealth of experiences. I bet there are a lot of young guys that would like to be with you. He said, I, I, I couldn't believe that. So I said, well, I'm going to ask next week. And in the men's fraternity, I said, how many of you younger men would like a mentor? An older guy, not a perfect guy, just an older guy to spend time with you. And a lot of the guys raised their hand. I said, I got a guy for you. 
And the next week, Harry had seven guys he started mentoring and a waiting list of about eight more. And he did that for the next 10 years of his life. And I remember one day being at the athletic club. We were on the treadmill together. Harry was going like crazy. I said, man, you, you're a changed man. You're a healthy man. He said, you know where I got this health? I got it from the younger men in my life. That started that day when you connected me. Because I love spending time with these guys. It closes the loop. It gives an older man a reason to live, not just to play golf, not just to retire on a lake. It gives him a reason to live at the, at the tail end of his life. He can invest and close the loop with meaning and purpose by investing down in a whole generation of young men. Secondly, it connects older and younger men in a symbiotic relationship. Now that word symbiotic may be new to you, it's a biological term that just means two organisms come together for the mutual benefit of both. The benefit of the young man is that he gets wisdom. The benefit of the older man is he gets a reason to live, a purpose for life. Thirdly, it allows an older man to teach naturally from experience. You don't have to be a, some great teacher. You just share your life. And younger men desperately need and want that. As I said, it gives, number four, older man a significant purpose in the second half of life especially. And lastly, it adds a missing satisfaction to an older man's life. Let me tell you, if you're an older man, and when I say older man, 40, 50, 60, and you want an added dimension to your life, you begin to connect with a younger man in some way. What does it do for the protege? It gives him this. It gives him hope. He gets to know he can do it because an older man is saying, you can do it. It gives him wisdom. The older man says, here's how you can do it. And here's how you can avoid taking unnecessary hits in life. It gives him a bigger personal vision for his life. You can, go, you can do much more than you're doing right now. That's what a mentor says. You can go much further than you're thinking right now. And it also provides much needed encouragement. I remember a young man was trying to make a career change. He was scared to death. As he said, he was standing in a plane at 50,000 feet and he had his, the door open, and he, but he was scared to death to let go. And so I became the guy that put the knee in the back and pushed him out. And here's what he wrote me. He said, Dear Robert, thanks for caring for my soul. It is food to this young man trying to put to death the boy in his life who long ago grew out of diapers. God has used you at many points in my life and our time last week was no different. I have no idea what the future holds for me. The mystery and uncertainty threatens my need for safety. I'm a butterfly, I think. The what seems clear now. The when is pressing me. The opportunity is a mystery. This is a very vulnerable time for me. Some days I'm like a bull charging through the streets of Spain. Other days I walk around on the verge of tears. I don't understand it all, but... I'm fortunate to have friends who are walking through it with me. All my life I've thrashed wildly through the jungle with my boy-sized machete trying to find my way. There was no one ahead of me forging the semblance of a path and encouraging me to follow and saying to me, come on, Jeff, this is the way. You can do it. I only have the capacity to lead a small number of people and my ability to cast vision may be li limited. 
but more and more I'm feeling these branches bursting from my trunk. And you are one of the only friends I have who can understand this. Thanks for wanting to be a part of my life. There are a lot of guys who are wishing they could write a note like that. Say, thanks for being a part of my life and letting me get these limbs from my trunk out so they can bear fruit. That's what a protege gets. Hope, wisdom, a vision for life and encouragement. So let's finish here this morning and ask the question, what do you do if you want to be a mentor? Let me give, give you some suggestions. First, make a list of your strengths and experiences that you can bless a younger man's life with. This is most important because you've got some strengths. Every man does. But as you get older, you've got a host of experiences that a younger man desperately needs. So make a list of what those are. Secondly, determine how much time you have to give. Thirdly, pray for and choose a young man or men you want to be with. See, there has to be chemistry there. But look around. Just begin to pray and say, God, I want to know, where's a young man I can invest in? And just wait. And you may find a magical moment where God says, there's the guy right over there. It's the one I want you to have. And then finally, if you do connect with a young man, then initiate some regular time together until he has what he needs. This is not a forever relationship necessarily. It might develop into a great friendship if it does great, but you're there to give him what he needs and then once he gets what he needs, let him go. You know, you're like one of those big tanker planes and he's like that jet fighter that gets right up under it and you put the hose down and you fill him up. But you don't stay there, do you? Once you fill him up, you let him go and let him fly. That's what a mentoring relationship is all about. So that's what you can do if you want to be a mentor. Here's what you can do if you need but lack a mentor. This is for you younger guys. Here, first is just simply this. Pray for wisdom and guidance. You can use those 10 descriptives Howard Hendricks gives that I just gave you a moment ago. Just gives you a grid to look for a mentor. Secondly, go and, this is the most important one. Once you spy out this mentor, go and ask him to mentor you. Most older men will not come to you and say, I want to mentor you. Okay? Just write it down, guys. Most of them. There'll be a few, but most older men don't have the confidence to say, you know, I'd like to start spending time with you. So that's going to mean you spy them out and you go and say, hey, would you spend a little time with me? I'd like to ask you about your life. And say, I'd like to learn from it. And then maybe you can even formalize it. Would you spend some regular time just kind of helping me think through life? And that honors an older man. And a lot of times it engages him to spend time with you. But then let me add number three. Don't get discouraged if you get turned down. Because some guys just won't feel capable of doing that. But many will. And then if there's a guy you really want, maybe he turns you down. I got one final point. Go get a group of young men that want to spend time with him and then go ask him again. <laughs> Say, will you now not mentor me? Will you mentor us? Leverage him through numbers. You know, if he has three or four young guys saying, hey, would you spend some time with us? Again, that honors him. He says, you know, I will. I'll do that for you. 
Three cheers for mentors. That's what we want to do today. And guys, we're finishing this whole concept of relationships. And we talked about being disconnected is where a man wounds himself. It's a self-inflicted wound. And we've talked about the fact that this wound occurs when men are disconnected from just one another, peers for support, and from older men for wisdom. And here's what I want you to write down before you shut your manuals. It's this. It is a poor man who goes through life without men on his inside. Just write it down. It's a poor man. You're going to make a huge mistake. You're going to put on your life a huge self-inflicted wound if you go through life without letting a few men on the inside of your life. It is the golden piece of advice that I'm giving you here today. Don't go through life without guys on your inside. And for you older men, it's a shame for you to keep your wisdom to yourself. It's a shame. In Douglas Lawson's book, Give to Live, he quotes an ancient Chinese proverb that goes like this. If you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help a young man succeed. It's called mentoring. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Robert Lewis Sermon Podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please rate and review this podcast. In addition, share this with your friends and community. This podcast was produced by the team at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about the team at soundofarose.com.